do some things a little bit differently today. Open with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. How many of you were with us last week in church? You see your hands? Uh, on a personal note, I left last week just, just about as satisfied, if not more satisfied, than I've been in the last year, any time together. I, I just sensed that we, we heard from the Lord last week. We got some good direction about some things for this church and where we're headed as a family. But I just love what the Lord said and what the Lord did for us in service. And we looked at this scripture in the book of Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at it quickly again. And then I want to give you an update of where we are in our plan to expand project. And it has to do with where we're going in the word today and over the next several weeks. Acts chapter 2. This is in the very, 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 very early days of the church. Just days into the launching of this new thing. These people filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's growing like crazy. The Bible says in verse 41, Acts 2, 41, then those who gladly received his word, talking about Peter preaching to the people, those who had gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. In verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So from the day this church was launched and thousands of people were added to it in a day, what happened in the days following that, we, we get a snapshot of it right here in this verse. They continued steadfastly. They stuck with it. This wasn't something that was a passing fad. They didn't try it for a day or two or even a week or two. These people stuck with it. They stayed with it. And what was it they stayed with? Number one, the apostles' doctrine or the preaching that they were hearing. And they were hearing some preaching like nobody on earth had ever heard before. And we know from other places in the book of Acts that what these guys were preaching was their own witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were preaching what they had seen, what they, were heard, what they had heard. They were eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. They were there when he preached. They were there at every miracle. They were there when the dead were raised. They were there when he was raised from the dead. And this was the message. This was and is the gospel. And it's what they were preaching. And it's what these people stayed with day after day after day, stayed with the word and stayed with the word and just stuck with the word. And they would hear the word and then they'd go back over it again and again and again because these words were life. They weren't messages like they'd ever heard before. This was not just some, uh, another religious teaching. This actually had power in it. And they stayed with this doctrine. But it wasn't just the preaching that caused this church to grow. What was it they continued steadfastly in? The apostles' doctrine and in fellowship fellowship. And that's what we talked about last week. You know, we need this. Believers need this. We were created for fellowship. What am I, what's the purpose of my life? What am I called to do? What am I called to be? People have been asking this question for thousands of years and it's been in the word the whole time. You were created for fellowship. First of all, you were created for fellowship with God. Now that word fellowship it doesn't just simply mean hanging out. 
and hanging out's fun and it's great, but it's, it's more what are you hanging out around? Why are you connecting? What is it you're fellowshipping over? The word itself literally means to share. Somebody say share. share. We were talking just a moment ago about the things we teach our kids when they're little. This is one of those early things. Share. Uh-uh. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to. You need to. Mine. Did anybody in here teach their child to say the word mine? No. No. They just figured it out on their own. Mine. Mine. I don't want to share. I don't want to share because it's the nature of the flesh. But the nature of the spirit is the complete opposite. The reborn again nature, when you're born again, according to the DNA of God, you've got his life on the inside of you. You were recreated for fellowship and to share, to share. And that's what this word fellowship literally means. A, 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 a sharing. What do we have in common? And these people, these thousands of people and those being added to the church day after day were sharing and fellowshipping around this thing they had in common. You love Jesus? I do too. You got something in common. And when Sarah and I, uh, when we first started into our own ministry, we were traveling all the time. And that's what we did for 10 years or more. And to this day still, we travel as the Lord leads us. But we would, we would go into other places. And a lot of times we'd go into places we'd never been before. And I figured out early on that going somewhere and preaching to a group of people who you didn't know and they didn't know you, it was a little bit like a blind date. I don't know if you ever had the misfortune of going on one of those before. But what is a blind date? It's two people who got set up. They both had a friend, a friend who they shared. You know, they both knew this person. And this guy said to this girl, hey, I know a guy I think you'd really like. And he said to his buddy, hey, I know a girl I think you'd really like. And they got set up. Now that is a potentially a recipe for disaster, for potentially awkward silence, right? Where you just sit there and you're kind of like, so do you like stuff? I, you know, what, what do you say? And, and it can be challenging until you find that you have something in common. And when you find what you have in common, what you share, now you've got something you can fellowship about. And we used to go into churches and people sort of just sit there and look at you, sort of stare at you. Yeah, like that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're like, who's this guy? Who's this girl? We got set up. It was this pastor that was like, Jeremy, Sarah, I know this congregation I think you'd really like. And they were like, congregation, I know these preachers I think you would really be into. And you get set up and, and it's that, that awkward thing in the beginning until you find something you've got in common. You can fellowship around. And I used to stand up in front of churches and be like, hey, does anybody here love Jesus? Yeah, <laughs> me too. I love you. This is going to be a beautiful relationship. I'm not afraid of commitment. But you have something you can fellowship around. And I don't know, I, I don't know where this got into to our particular group. And when I say that, I'm talking about word people and faith people and, and, and folks like you and I, we've, a lot of us have kind of grown up in this environment. We put so much emphasis and rightly so on the word of God, but there's a danger in neglecting this fellowship side in thinking that it's me and God. 
I can get everything I need from God. I can get everything I need from God. I can get everything I need from his word. And you almost, without realizing it, develop this hardness towards other people. But the truth is, and we looked at this scripture last week, God takes the solitary. You remember what he does with them? This is in the book of Psalms. He sets them in a family. He takes people who are isolated and disconnected and he says, I'm not good with that. I mean, you go back to the very beginning. God saw that man was what? Alone. And he said, it's not good. It's not good that this guy be isolated. It's not good that this guy be disconnected. So he created someone to fellowship with. And if God, or I should say it like this, if Adam could have gotten everything he ever needed from God, then God would not have provided fellowship. And the same thing's true for you. If you could get everything you ever needed, just you and God alone in the woods, there'd be no reason for this church. There'd be no reason for this family. But the truth is you can't get everything you need. Yes, it takes a first and foremost, a commitment to his word, to this doctrine. Yes, you need that. That does come first. But along with that, you need fellowship because there's something in that person sitting next to you that God put in them for you. And there's something in you that has, that has, that has uh, come to you. It has flowed to you from God, but not just, not just with the intent that it would just, just flow to you. It's supposed to flow through you to other people. That's called fellowship. And we need that. Now, you know this. We've talked about it for months. We're, we're right now in the middle of a building project. Uh, building out this lobby and spaces throughout the building. You know, when we first got here, uh, you've heard us tell the story. This place was rough, man. It just needed a lot of love. There was, there was a lot that had gone on here and it just, it just needed some refreshing. And we poured time and money, effort and energy into this room we're in right now, this sanctuary. We felt like the Lord said, start church, do everything you can to start and then let everything else come after that. So that's what we've done. And do you realize we are knocking on the door of one year together? Just a few weeks from now, we will be having, having had services in this room for a year, first weekend in December. Um, but we believe it's time to add to our commitment to the word and commitment to this doctrine, the fellowship that you and I need. And that's the assignment on that lobby. I mean, could a lobby have a spiritual significance to it? Yeah, you bet. Everything we set our hand to around here, it better have some spiritual significance or it's a waste of time. That lobby that you and I are getting ready to, to, to build together is dedicated to this fellowship. And what we can see happening in the future is doing exactly what we're doing right now. We get together around the word, but before you leave this place, you take time to fellowship with somebody. You take time to spend time around what you have in common. And I'm not talking about, hey, you like this kind of pizza, so do I. Hey, you like these kind of movies, I do too. Those things are great and, and, and they're, they're fun, but there's something higher that you and I are called to fellowship over. And it's this, this deep-rooted thing we have with Jesus. And this, this is a room full of people who have that in common. And we want you to take the time to fellowship with each other. 
centered around that. Can I show those pictures again, guys, the renderings of what we believe this lobby is going to shape up and look like? Take a look at this. Isn't this beautiful? Glory to God. This is going to be such a special place. So thankful. Sarah spent a lot of time with her team, our team, working on these. And I'm so grateful that the Lord's brought us people who can help us put some vision in front of you. This, this is really special stuff. You can see we're going to have plenty of place for people to sit and talk and just fellowship, just hang out together around the word and around their love for God and around their love for Jesus. And it's going to be such a special time. You see these doors back there. There's going to be other rooms off the other side of the hallway. There you go. That uh, wood door back there. There's going to be places that are dedicated to altar prayer ministry, uh, places that are dedicated to our, our band and choir and other service teams having a place place to get together. So this is going to be such a special place in the church. And we are so thrilled with the opportunity to, to build this thing out. If you look over there, kind of towards the, the left corner, that's where you're coming in the building. And that, that welcome desk is going to be one of the first things you see. And that'll be the place where people can go. If it's their first time, you get uh, answers to questions. And uh, there's just going to be such a, a sweet flow to this. We're so excited about it. And last week, if you remember, we dedicated our entire offering to this project. And we have released faith together for a million dollars in, in beginning, not just this expansion, but the expansion uh, of some of the roadways outside expansion of the legacy television broadcast and, and other things. But all of last week's offering went, uh, dedicated to this project. And I wanted to give you the quick report about what had come in. We were sitting at 64.87% complete. Now that's uh, almost 65% of that million dollars that you and I are believing God for. Uh, that only left us with about 35% left to go since last week. So in last week's offering and what has come in through our congregation online and the partners of our ministry, we had 4.51% come in. Hallelujah. That's a chunk. That is a chunk. Glory to God. That just so blessed us. I've just been sort of riding on that all week long. Just encouraged by that. So encouraging to me. So you can tell in the next week, we're going to be up over 70% of the funds already sitting in the bank. And that's before the work even begins. So this is, this is the grace of God. This is the goodness of God. This puts us at 69.38% complete, only a little over 30% remaining. And that is going to go quickly in Jesus name. Called the fellowship created for it. I, I chose to share some of that with you at the beginning of this message today. Because you and I are going to dig into something today and for as long as the Lord leads us. As a matter of fact, from where I stand right now, I don't see an end in sight. <laughs> we are going to start talking about something today. And I would ask that you believe God with me in this because I'm going to say some things to you, some things I've never said because I've seen some things I've never seen. And I'm stirred up in my spirit about it. Uh, but getting it out sometimes is a whole other thing. Before we get into what we are going to talk about, I want to tell you what we're not going to talk about. We are not going to talk about faith. And yet, what we are going to talk about will serve to strengthen your faith, cause your faith to work, 
cause your faith to be effective in places where it hasn't been effective for a long time or maybe perhaps ever. Now, we're not talking about faith as a subject, but what we are going to talk about will do that for your faith. Let me tell you what else we're not going to talk about. We are not going to talk about healing. And yet, what we are going to talk about, if you'll hear it and believe it and put it into practice, it will serve to strengthen your physical body and cause healing, like the Bible says, to spring forth speedily. Let me tell you what else we're not talking about. We're not talking about the biblical laws that govern financial increase in abundance. We're not going to talk about that. However, what we are going to talk about, if you'll believe it, will open up the doors for blessing upon blessing upon blessing to be poured out in your life. We are not going to talk about marriage and relationship. And yet what we are going to talk about will absolutely save your marriage. And it will cause you and I to live out days of heaven on earth in our homes. We're not going to talk about protection. We're not going to talk about this, this biblical promise of protection from all harm. We're not going to talk about that. And yet what we are going to talk about, if you will put it into practice, will serve to protect your life. It will deliver you from all fear. And even though we're not going to talk about you finding what God's plan and call for your life to do, we're not going to talk about that, yet we are going to talk about something that will unlock the mysteries of your destiny. That's what we're going to talk about. What are we going to talk about? John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. This is what we're going to talk about. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. What are we going to talk about? What is it that we could talk about that would serve to strengthen our faith? What is it that we could talk about that would heal our bodies, that would put money in the bank and provide for us spirit, soul, and body materially, financially? What is it we could talk about that would serve to heal these physical bodies and, and, and serve to protect us and to deliver us from all fear? What, what could we possibly talk about that would unlock the mysteries of our calling? The love of God. The love of God. Jesus said this again in, in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He said in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for who? His friends. Now, you're already beginning to see the connection to what we've talked about already this service and what we dealt with starting last week. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You can tell right away, we need some mind renewal, particularly in the day and age you and I live in, about friendship. Friendship. Friendship to us doesn't mean the same thing that it did in these words written in red. 
friendship. We have a concept of it, but like so many other things in the English language, we use this one word to talk about so many things. And it could describe an entire range of things. From the time we're little or we're in high school and you get accused, oh, you like her, don't you? You have a crush on her. And this guy, to deny it and vehemently deny it, what does he say? No, 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 no. We're, we're what? Just friends. Just friends. And when you put that word just in front of friends, what you're literally saying about friendship is it's some lower form of relationship. It's some lesser form of relationship. We're not that, we're just this. A few years ago, this new concept of friendship got introduced into our world that never before existed. Friends online. Do you know so-and-so? Well, we're friends on Facebook. We're friends online. Let me just, let me just get on a little bit of a box here for a second. Be careful, please, with so-called social media. The word social in front of that word media could not be a, a, worst, a worse word. It, it, it is such a poor choice of word to describe what happens in that world. It's anything but social. It should be called antisocial media. Please be careful on it. It's not social. Social has to do with what we're talking about. Fellowshipping, sharing, communicating, taking something that's in you and offering it to somebody else and receiving what's in them and getting it on the inside of you. This stuff that happens in that world is anything but social. And those, connect, those connections are anything but friendship. It's not friendship. I mean, you think about friends. This is what came to mind as I, I prayed over this. I thought about I thought about a man or a woman who served in the military and, and the relationships that are developed in that world, particularly those who go and serve in combat with each other. Do I have anybody in here? Veterans of the, of the military? Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you and value you. But I think about the stories that I've heard from those who've served and they've served in combat. And here, here's two people that didn't know each other. They came from other places around the world and they end up in, in the same unit and they get sent on the same mission and they're dug into the same foxhole and the same guns are shooting at both of them and they come out of that and they have survived it and they were willing to, to lay down their lives for each other. And they, they serve together for who knows how many years. And, and there's something, a bond that's developed between them. They are friends to the point where if this guy needed something in the middle of the night, he knew he could pick up the phone, call this guy on the other side of town or the other side of the country and say, my brother, I need you. And that man would leave his home in the dark of the night and do whatever it took to get to this man's side. Yeah. Friends. And we use the same word to describe somebody's aunt that we know on Facebook. We're friends. No, you're not. This is. And what Jesus was talking about was a word that described covenant. Covenant. 
you can tell right now we're going to have to rewire the way we think about what, what a friend is. We're not just friends. Friendship is not a lower form of relationship. You're going to see here in a minute, it's the highest. And already you're going, wait a second. No, hold on, hold on. But, but the level of friendship and the way I'm talking to you about it is a very high level of relationship. I want you to put that verse up there in the New Living Translation, John chapter 15, but look at verse 13 out of the New Living Translation. Jesus said, there is, now say these next three words with me, no greater love. That's the title of our new series. No greater love. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say there is no other love. He just said there's no greater love. That should tell you there are other loves, but there's none greater than this. And after the series you and I were in for the last several weeks where we talked about that great grace that was on the church, who remembers what the word great is in the, in the Greek language? Mega. Do you know it's the same word here? He said, there is no more mega love. See, we just spent nine or 10 weeks talking about mega grace. Guess what we're going to start talking about now? Mega love. Mega love. No bigger, no greater love. There is no greater love. Put that back up there for us. Let's look at it again. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said, this is the greatest love. It is the greatest expression of love. You cannot demonstrate a higher level of love, a greater level of love. There's no demonstration of a more mega love than this right here, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, what I had to do and what I had to see over the last week or so, two weeks, three weeks, really, because it's been that long that those three words have just been rolling around in my spirit. No greater love, no greater love, no greater love. I had to go back and think, okay, what, is, what exactly is he talking about here? No greater love than to lay down one's life. Well, if you're like me, immediately you think of what Jesus did for us. You think of the greatest expression of love as when he went to the cross, right? When he laid down his life, he died for us. And that's the truth. Humanity has never been shown a greater love than what Jesus did for us on the cross, what he did for us in the heart of the earth, what he did for us when he rose again, and what he does for us right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us day and night. The world has never seen a greater love. But there's a problem with that. When Jesus said this to his disciples, the cross was still in the future. Now I realize it's in our past, but when he said this, and to the ones he said this to, this was still out in the future. And if you back up to the verse before it, what did he say? This is my commandment that you love one another as I am about to love you? No, as I have loved you. Now let's, let's look at this just for a second. What Jesus just said is the key, not a key. It is the key to knowing how to walk in love. 
And the reason I'm talking to you about this now, and we're going to talk about it for however long he wants us to, is because of everything I, I, I said to you in the beginning of this service. This is the door that unlocks faith and greater faith. Walking in the love of God. This is what will heal the body. This is what will provide for you. This is what will deliver you from all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. This is where you find your destiny. This is where you find your calling. And I'm telling you folks right now in the world that you and I are living in, there has never been a more critical time for you and I to walk in love. Never has there been. These are dangerous days we're living in. And what will protect you in the middle of it is the love of God and walking in love and demonstrating that love, showing that love. You, can I say this any stronger? You have no time for strife in your house. Not, not a minute of it, not a second of it. There's no time for it because what that does is opens you up to the manifest presence of the devil himself. Anybody have time for that? I don't. This world that we're living in, we need protection. We need to be able to walk these streets free from fear. Where are we going to get that? In the love of God. But the reason that so many Christians, us included, have failed so miserably time after time after time at walking in the love of God when it's the most important is because we have first and foremost no revelation of how we've been loved. Jesus gave you the key right here. I want you, this is my commandment, that you love each other. Now here's the key to it. As I have loved you. If you don't know how he has loved you, you have no idea how to love anybody else. And if you don't have a revelation of the great love that he has demonstrated towards you, then he's not your source. He's not your source for the love. Well, if he's not your source for the love, who is? You? Me, I become my own source for love. That's like me getting up in the morning going, okay, I got to walk in love. I've been mean. I've been cranky. I've been short. I got to stop that. Stop it, Jeremy. Stop it. Walk in love. 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 I'm about to be the biggest jerk I've ever been. You want to know why? Because I'm my own source for it. I'm drawing on my own self out of my own strength that I don't have. There is a natural love. Jesus didn't say this is the only one. He just said it's the greatest one. There are other loves. There are loves that most of the rest of this world live in. And it's the love that is, hey, I love you as long as you love me. You do for me, I do for you. You don't for me, I won't for you. I don't have to. Why? Because you didn't do it for me. That's not this love. That's a love, but it is not this one. And it is not as great as the love we're talking about right here. But the key to any of it, the key to you walking in love and me walking in love is knowing how much we've been loved and knowing the way he loved and what he did to show his love. And I know you're sitting there going again. Yeah, he went to the cross. Yes, he did. And that is the greatest demonstration of love, but the only problem with you thinking that's how he loved me, the problem with it is, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, I'm supposed to love you as he loved me. 
or put it back in the context there. He's talking to disciples at a time when the cross was still in the future. So that can't just be about the cross. And I can't love you by going to the cross for you. I can't take your sin. Number one, it's already been done. But number two, I'm not a sinless, spotless sacrifice. You cannot go to the cross for me. You can't carry my sin. You can't carry my burden of shame. So there's got to be some other thing that Jesus is talking about for some other way for us to show this kind of love to each other. Something that's not just limited to what he did on the cross. Are you following me? Does that make sense? We're starting to wade off into some stuff. Like I said a moment ago, it's fresh. It's new to me. So what is it he's talking about? What could he possibly be talking about and telling them to do for each other what he had done for them? This is my commandment that you love one another as I, not, not, not as I'm about to, as I have already. To understand what's happening in John 15, you really have to put it with everything that was happening in John 13, 14, 15, even beyond that. And if you look through your, your Bibles here, it's primarily red words, chapter after chapter. If you back up to John chapter 13, look at verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And here are these words again, as I have loved you that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this, by what? By this love, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how people know who we belong to. It's not the church we go to. It's not the Christian apparel we wear or the bumper stickers on a car. It's not, it's not our, the, the way we come across to people so spiritual and so holy and those things are fine and whatever. What really is the proof is the love that we have for each other. And again, what did Jesus say? There is no greater love. No greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. And again, I'm going to keep going over this. When you hear those words, lay down your life, immediately you think of death or dying or a willingness to die in somebody's place. That's awesome, and Jesus did that, but I can't do that for you, and you can't do that for me. One thing that'll help you understand it is to realize that those same words to lay down were translated in other places in Scripture to lay aside. See, lay down makes you think of dying, but what does lay aside make you think of? Hmm? This is where it gets cool. Are you ready for this? This word to lay aside... It's the same word Paul used in 1 Corinthians 16 when he wrote to that church about their offering. And he said, I want you on the first day of every week to lay aside. Talking about their finances. Lay something aside and just do that once a week. Just take a little bit and lay it aside. Take some and lay it aside. He said, so that when I come, there will be something to receive. Why would there be something? Because they had laid it aside. And what's really cool to me, I didn't discover this till about 9.30 last night. It's the Greek word, tithemi. If you're writing notes, I want you to spell this out. This is the English spelling of it. Tithemi, T-I, 
T-H-E-M-I. What do you see in that? Look at it. Tithe. Tithemi. Tithe me. What is the tithe? It's taking not just 10%, the first 10%. Because this is God saying, that part is mine. Take that part, which is the most important part of the whole 100%. This first 10% is the most precious, is the most valuable because it belongs to God. And what do you do with that? If you're smart, you set it aside. When, when that paycheck comes in or that blessing or that increase comes in, the first thing you do, listen to me, church, the first thing you do is take what's God's and set it aside. This isn't mine. This is not for my bills. This is for not, not for my entertainment. Huh? This is not for my payments. This is God's. And I am setting it aside. I'm laying it aside. Tiffany. That's the word Jesus used when he said there's no greater love than one who will lay aside his life for his friend. And then he said here in John 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. There it is again. He's already done something that has shown love, proven love. And he's saying, what I've shown you, you do that for each other. And by this, all will know you're my disciples. So again, what is it? What has Jesus done? Jesus, what have you done? (laughs) Show us what you've done that you want us to do. Well, it's right here in this chapter. Back up to verse one of chapter 13. It says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, listen to this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, what supper is he talking about here? Another translation say, in the middle of supper. All of this was happening in the middle of this supper. What supper were these guys sitting at? The last one, as we call it. The last supper. So they're eating together. What did Acts chapter 2 say that you and I were supposed to continue steadfastly in? First of all, the word. Second of all, fellowship. And, did you notice this? Breaking bread. Other translations bring out communion. What these guys were doing right here. The breaking of that last supper bread. That's one of the things that we as a body are supposed to fellowship around. This is what we have in common, the broken body and the spilled blood of the Lord Jesus. And what happens when we break that bread and I take some and I get it in me and you take some and you get it in you because we're sharing, we got the same stuff in us. I've got in me what you've got in you. And now we've got it in common and we're fellowshipping around that. That's what Jesus and his disciples were doing in this moment. Fellowshipping, sharing with each other, breaking this bread. And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Listen to verse three. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come from God and was going to God. Now, you know what's about to happen, don't you? 
Jesus, we know this says the time where he washed the disciples' feet. But don't skip these details. Why is it important that we know what Jesus knew? What did he know? He knew two things, or several things really. His hour had come. He knew it was time. There, was, there were things in his ministry that he couldn't do until it was time to do it. And he's about to do something that he could not do before this point. And we're talking about hours from the cross. He knew the time had come. He knew, what did we just read? He had come from God and he was going to God. He knew that the father had given all things into his hands. What's that mean? Authority. The father had given to Jesus. I'm, I'm putting, hey, how do we say it? I'm going to leave it in your hands. What's that mean? You do with it what you think. This, this thing with going to the cross, Jesus still had a choice to make. And you see that later on in the garden. There's this tug of war, but God had put it into his hands. I'm putting the authority of whether or not you do this in your hands. Jesus is not being robotically, electronically, remotely controlled by God from heaven. The father had put some things in his hands. He said, I'm leaving it with you. And Jesus knew this. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And where he came from was the highest place of authority. And where he was going was the highest place of authority. Now, it's important you know that because of the next verse. After, or um, look at it again, verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, was going to God. Verse four, rose from supper and did what? Laid aside. Laid aside. Guess what word that is? Tithemi. He laid something aside. What did he lay aside? He lay aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. All these details are so significant. He laid something aside. He took something off and he put something else on. <laughs> when you look up this word towel, I'm a word nerd. I look up the word towel. <laughs> It literally translates to the apron that a servant puts on before going to work. So what's happening here? This is, this is so much more significant than Jesus saying, hey, y'all, wait a second. I don't want to get these clothes dirty. This is more than, oh, these are my nice clothes. I need to change out of this real quick. I'm going to go slip into something more comfortable. Nothing to do with that. Jesus is taking one thing off laying it aside and putting something else on. Now to understand the significance of this, listen to it from the book of Philippians. You know this verse, but you'll think of it in a different way. Philippians chapter two, verse one says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, 
If any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, has anybody ever made that good confession before? I have the mind of Christ. You need to be saying that over your life. I have the mind of Christ. I know in high school, I, my parents put that in me. Jeremy, you taking a test? You need to go in there and say this. I have the mind of Christ. You studying? I have the mind of Christ. I don't get it. Well, say this. I have the mind of Christ. And that's good. And it's right. You should be doing that. But having the mind of Christ is about more than understanding algebra. Having the mind of Christ is about more than getting a good grade on a, on a math test or an English test. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. This is the mind of Christ. You ready? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was going to God. And he knew that he'd been given a place in God, with God, seated with God. He knew that God himself had made him Lord. He knew that. That's the mind of Christ, but that's not the end of it. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be called equal with God. But what did he say? Made himself of no reputation taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Listen to some of these other translations. The Living Bible says, he laid aside his mighty weight and power. He, he did what with it? Laid it aside. The Amplified Classic Bible says, he stripped himself. What did Jesus do? At that last supper, he's taking off garments. What's happening? He's stripping himself of one thing and putting on something else. He stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity to assume the guise of a servant. A servant. My commandment is that you love each other as I have loved you. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel, that servant's towel, which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing me? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't get it right now. And it's kind of like, well, what's there to get? You know, you got a bowl, there's water in it, you're washing feet. It's about more than feet getting wet. And he's telling them, you don't understand this but you will. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, 
you have no part with me. Now we have read this so many times. What's that mean? You have no part with me. Other translations help a little. <laughs> One says, if I don't wash you, you have nothing, you and I will have nothing to do with each other. But there's one that says, if I don't wash you, you'll have no share in this with me. He's serving them. And he's saying, this is what we will have in common. And if you don't allow me to serve you, then we don't share in this together. We have no fellowship. And you gotta love Peter, right? Because when he hears that, he's like, well, shoot. I mean, wash all of me then. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew who had betrayed him, and therefore he said, you're not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do, listen to these words, as I have done to you. There it is. How do we love like he loved? This. This is it. This is specifically the thing he was talking about when he said, this is my commandment, love each other the way, and I would say it like this, the way I just showed you. Now, clearly that doesn't mean that these guys or you and I are supposed to walk around with basins of water in our hands, you know, with aprons around our waist, just constantly washing each other's feet. That's why he said, you don't understand this. In other words, this is about more than getting somebody's feet wet. This is about serving. This is about serving each other. There is no greater love than one who will lay aside something. One who will lay aside their life and serve somebody else. Could that be possible? That serving is the greatest love. The greatest. The greatest love. Now for Jesus, it was serving and it took him all the way to the cross. But the greatest love that you and I can show to each other is when we wash each other's feet. Perhaps not physically or literally, but in serving each other. Tithemi, tithe me. Lord, I'm gonna take a part of me and it's a part of me that belongs to you. It's yours. Just like the tithe, there is a part of your life that belongs to him. It's his and if you approach it right, then you'll realize this, this, this much of my time, this much of my effort, this much of my energy, this much of my finance, this much of my thought and my affection and my attention is yours. And I don't spend it on me. I spend it on you. 
I give it to you. I don't do what I want to do with the first and best part of me. I do what you want done with it. I put it in your hands. I tithe me. I take part of me and I set me aside for what purpose? Somebody else serving somebody else. How do you tithe to the Lord? Well, how do you tithe financially in, in, in your offering? You, you don't physically take it to the gates of heaven and say, hey, I brought you something. This is the way he set it up. He's the Lord of the tithe, which means you do with it what he wants done with it. And if he's the Lord of the tithe of your time, that means you do with the first part of your time what he wants done with it. If he's the Lord of your life, your affection, your energy, that means you do with the first and best part of you, not the leftovers, the first and the best. And what did he say do with it? Give it to somebody else. Love them. Love each other. Love your friends. Now, here's one of the things I'd never seen. In this church, one of the big things the Lord told us was to create these service teams because this was to be our service unto him. And the reason we have these teams, our, our parking lot team, our usher team, our greeter team, our children's team, right? All these different teams that we have, our cleaning teams and our hospitality teams and over and over and over. These teams exist not just because we need some stuff done in the church. These teams exist to give you an opportunity to serve the Lord. If you don't have that opportunity, then what does he have to bless? What do you have to fellowship around and share with each other? But what I see more clearly now is it's not just a service to the Lord. It's a service to your friends. If you're not serving, you're not a friend. Now, I'm not telling you that this is the only place you can serve. But my question is this. What are you doing? Where are you serving? I know that we have people in this church. I'm looking across and I see folks this morning, people who have ministries of their own, those who are in, in other places, other countries. What are they doing? They're serving the Lord there. I'm asking you, if not here, where? What are you doing to serve the Lord? What part of you have you laid aside that does not belong to you, that you put in his hands and you've said, do with this what you want done? And if you don't have somewhere out there, guess what? Great news. You go to a church that's got tons of opportunity for you to serve the Lord and serve your friends. But, but here's the truth. It may, no, nay, will require you to set some stuff aside. What are you willing to tithemy? What are you willing to lay aside? Because Jesus laid aside this place of authority. I know who I am. Everything's been given to me. I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going. I've got mighty weight. I've got power. I've got authority. I've got place. I've got position. And if there was anybody in the history of mankind that was worthy of other people's service, it was this man. But what he did instead was take all that off, stripped himself of it, put it over here and put something else on what did he put on? The clothes of a servant. And then what he said was this, 
no greater love than this. This right here. Now I'm not getting ready to have a foot washing service. Altar ministers are not equipped with bowls of water today. It's not happening. But what you may not realize was when you drove in this morning and there was that guy at the gate doing this and there was other gentlemen that were directing you and making sure you were safe and parking you in places, you didn't realize it. You just got your feet washed. And when you came in and there was a smiling face at the door that gave you a big hug and looked genuinely happy to see you, you may not realize this, they just washed your feet. And when you took your children to, to the children's ministry and there was somebody in there so that you could come in here, you didn't realize it, but your feet just got washed. Somebody laid aside something to serve you. Many of them laid aside some time. They got here early so you could get here whenever you wanted to. Many of them laid aside some, some sleep. Many of them laid aside some extra effort. Musicians, you guys come. Sarah, would you come please too? Sarah read something to us last week. And I want to read it to you again. This is one of the glory stories that came out of the church. This lady wrote and said, in the spring of 2020, my husband and I decided we wanted to start a family. She said, when I was not pregnant almost a year later, we had to lean on God's promise. Years before he had promised we would have children. And despite his goodness to tell me this promise years before, I was struggling and had to keep recalling that God is faithful. I was sent to a reproductive spe specialist early because of my age and several tests were conducted. And then she said around the vision weekend, the specialist said I needed to come in for one more test and then they would consider other, um, other treatments, other procedures. She said seemingly unrelated, my husband and I, go ahead guys, my husband and I had been praying about our vision board that Jeremy and Sarah told us about. And while praying, I heard these words, wash feet. The next day at church, Jeremy talked about serving in the church. So I signed up with the children's ministry. She went on to say, the first day I was asked to serve in the children's ministry was dedication weekend. I was bummed because I wanted to listen to the message, but accepted because God said to wash feet and I wanted to be obedient. The day of the dedication service, I oddly did not want to go in and had a huge resistance to go and help with the ministry. But again, I remembered God said to wash feet. wash feet. She said, I thought of sowing seed and the mothers and fathers who could enjoy the service and entrust me to love their little ones. It turned out to be a blessing to love on these little sweet babies. She said, four weeks after dedication weekend, I had a positive pregnancy test. And God is good. When we have trouble, he is faithful. She goes on to say, I'm well into my pregnancy now. But it, it, it stood out to me what the Lord told her to do. Wash feet. Now to do that, she had to tithe of herself. Take a part of her that she wished was in this room. Lay that aside and put herself in that room to love little ones. And God was able to do something for her that medical science couldn't do, that years of trying in and of your own strength, their own strength couldn't do. 
but just laying down and laying aside their life, her life for her friends. Now, most of you won't know her, don't know her name, perhaps maybe some do, but she made you that day her friends. And this is more than, hey, I know somebody online. This is more than, yeah, I grew up with this guy in high school. This is somebody she was willing to lay aside a part of her life for. Did that for you. And there is no greater love than that right there. Isn't that powerful? Tithomy. Tithing me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.